Welcome to the Ambitious Sloth Podcast. I'm Julian, and I interview people from all around the world about the mindsets, ambitions, and meaning of life for you so you can learn from them or just get a different perspective on things you haven't thought of before. very excited for today's guest Colin Wright. We talked a lot about his purpose and life, his sense of direction, his lifestyle of being a minimalist and traveling throughout basically the whole world and a couple of bits he mentioned during the podcasts were which things do I actually want and which things was I told to want. Well, then another one, get more underwear, sell your computer and get more underwear. How to break out of current conventions and norms. By traveling, it can help to find your purpose. Benefits of traveling and the campsite rule. Is that something you're interested in? Please stay tuned for the episode with Colin Wright. Enjoy. Colin Wright is... Um next to being on most um tedx speaks uh, speaking gigs he did um also an author of 19 plus books he couldn't even <laughs> tell himself really properly how many it was um also a podcast host of let's know things and one of his um remarkable or usually a bit um thought provoking things he's doing he's a minimalist and traveling a lot through a bunch of different countries and uh, still doing that um, every four months on on base on the opinions of other people where he should go. So thanks uh, and welcome for being here on the show and the podcast on The Ambitious Sloth. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was uh, first off really uh, amazed and surprised that um, you so quickly answer to that email that I just wrote you after watching a couple of your, your TED Talks. And that what you also didn't know before is that um, this was also an, an initiator for this second season. I'm uh, publishing, well, uh, I'm recording this and tomorrow is the second season going to be published. Um, and because I then realized, oh, this can be a really cool and big thing. So... Thank you That's for fantastic. Yeah, thank you for being this initiator without knowing. Oh, thrilled to hear that. That's fantastic. Good on you. Um, and now I'm obviously really curious um, on. Well, obviously, let's start with the first part of the minimalism. How did you start with that, and what was like the the driving um, trigger there that you, yeah, where you got the energy from to just okay, let's do this, and I that's that's the right thing for me right now. Yeah. So when I started um, getting into the concept, it actually wasn't something that I had a name for. It was <laughs> over a little over 10 years ago, actually. And I was living a very different life from what I'm living today. I was living in Los Angeles, running a branding studio, uh, experiencing a type of professional success that I'd always dreamed of, had that young entrepreneur career thing where I'd run several businesses and started when I was 19. And here I was five years later at 24 and everything was going splendidly. If you just looked at my CV. Um, but in, in every non CV way in my life, a, a lot of things were very imperfect. And I, I had some great big clients and was making way more money than I thought I'd be making. But I also had no time for anything outside of work ever, including sleep with my girl. We, we lived together and we never saw each other. My health wasn't doing great because I had no time to eat well. I had no time to work out as anything other than like a means of trying to exhaust myself to try to fall asleep for a couple of hours. It, it wasn't really a sustainable lifestyle. And I, I had the opportunity actually on my 24th birthday to take the first vacation of my adult life. I, I hadn't stepped away from work uh, or school for five years. And I was able to leave Los Angeles and to set aside work mostly for the better part of a week. And from that distance, I was able to see all of these things, that this was not a sustainable way of living. This was success according to certain standards, but not my standards. 
Like I, I wanted other things in life and I told myself I would get around to those things someday, but probably decades in the future. And looking at things from that, that big picture view, that God's eye view, I was able to recognize, you know what, if I invested myself in other things, if rather than just trying to make as much money as possible and trying to be prestigious and successful according to certain businessy standards, if I worked hard at trying to free up time, at trying to do work that I cared about, at trying to be healthy, at trying to be happy, I could probably accomplish a lot more and do some of these things while I'm young rather than waiting until I'm older. Uh, because no matter how much money I had in the bank, if I had a billion dollars sitting, sitting in my checking account, that would not buy me my 20s back or my 30s or my 40s or any amount of time that I spent doing this stuff that wasn't really fulfilling me. It didn't matter how much money I had at that point. If I got to that point where I woke up someday and realized that I never lived and never got around to doing all those things. So here I was at 24 and I had the opportunity to pivot a bit and I did. And what that involved at first was figuring out what I actually wanted to do, which was not something that I had really allowed myself to consider uh, up until that point. And I realized the thing that I'd backburnered that I'd set aside until later, uh, that was like a really driving force behind everything else that I wanted to do was to make sure that I had time. I had the freedom of time to spend my energy and time and resources on work that wouldn't necessarily earn me money that I thought was cool, that I thought would help me grow, that I thought was interesting or valuable in some way. I wanted to be able to travel around and see the world. I had wanted to travel since I was a little kid. And here I was with all this money, but I'd never left the country. And I didn't think that I probably would be able to for a very long time because I didn't have any time. Uh, and, and I wanted to make sure that I could double down on actually feeling good and feeling fulfilled and healthy, not, not losing my motivation, still wanting to grow, but definitely being happy with what I've got now. That, that almost sounds like a midlife crisis at the age of 24. <laughs> yeah, like, the, the what I've done crisis. with my life so far, yeah, like, yeah, worked exactly. all the time, but I want to live. <laughs> but instead of going and buying a, an electric base and a Cadillac, I decided that I would uh, streamline and try to scale things down so that I could travel, so that I could afford to travel. Um, sooner rather than later, something that I could, so that I could reshape my life in such a way that I could afford to do this consistently rather than a lot of people, uh, that I'd known at that point had traveled for a while and then run out of money and had to come back to the lives they were living before with just less money, but everything else the same. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure that it was structurally sustainable. So a big part of that was figuring out how to go through what I had in my life already and that included possessions, but it also included the work I was doing, the expenses that I had, everything, and figuring out what was actually serving me, what was actually valuable, what actually added to my life, and what I was doing out of habit or reflex or because somebody else told me I was supposed to want it at some point, whether that was an advertisement or a professor or some mentor or something. This is what you're supposed to want. Well, which things was I told I was supposed to want and which things that I actually want? That's an amazing question. Yes. <laughs> and it's something that we're not really encouraged to ask no. because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of incentives out there to keep people wanting the stuff that you want them to want. I mean, I worked in branding. I know this better than most people. Like it's your responsibility in a lot of fields to convince people that they need a thing a widget or a service or whatever, where they will be less than if they don't have it. And getting past that is a process and it takes time. So the first step for me was taking the time to go through my stuff and my life and to figure out which of these things do I like and which of these things am I telling myself I like. Um, these, are, these are really some things I want to push on people, like these questions, like think about things you actually enjoy, think about the stuff you think are worthwhile or worth doing and suited to you because everybody else is having their own um, things, uh, like their own vision of how the future or how their own life looks like. And then yeah. also at some point I was, yeah, like the past couple of months, years realizing, okay, all the things I was trying to, to, to do better are still the things that have been told, even though it's like personal development things, but it's still yeah. the things that other people told me instead of listening to myself. Maybe especially within the world of personal development mm -hmm. and even wellness and things like this, mindfulness, meditation, yeah. like there's a lot of 
stuff that we're being sold on within these ostensibly healthy and wellfulness oriented things as well. So, I mean, really, there's no shortcutting it. What you have to do is step back, take a moment, look at your life, really ask yourself difficult questions. And it may be that the answer is, I don't know. And that's okay. But I mean, what that means is that then you're saying, okay, I don't know, but that also means that all this stuff I'm working on, I don't know if that actually serves me. Maybe I should experiment, should try some new hobbies, meet some new people, you know, try some new foods, go to some new places. It's, that is a free pass. That is a perfect excuse to start experimenting with your lifestyle. Read a book about a subject you know nothing about. Try a new hobby, go to a a meetup group for archeology span or painting or something that you've never tried before. Try it, like go out and discover yourself. Like that's exactly what you should be doing at that moment. And the same is true even if you already have something. Because that means this thing that you knew about already you haven't been acting on. What else have you not been acting on? So it's, it's all a great opportunity for self-exploration. I think there's no bad time to take a stop or to take a moment and pause and give yourself the opportunity to do that. And then ideally, we regularly do this throughout our lives and are constantly able to then take what we've learned since the last time we did it and see who we are now. Um, so the beginning for me of, of my minimalist journey, if you want to call it that, was that essentially taking a look at these things. And like for a lot of people that then eventually led to me getting rid of some stuff, a whole lot of things that I'd accumulated that I didn't need. For me, though, it, I didn't go into it thinking I'm going to be a minimalist. I'm going to get rid of stuff because nobody was talking about this stuff, really. I didn't know there was this name for it. Uh, I, I later found out there was somebody writing about it. The only person on the Internet, as far as I could tell, writing about minimalism was uh, Leo Babauta on Zen Habits. And I oh. discovered him probably three or four months after I start, started writing about the subject. And then somebody said, oh, so you're a minimalist. And I said, yes, <laughs> that sounds right. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Um and then I read his stuff and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Well done. OK. Yeah. So uh, almost always the case, if you think you're brilliant and discovered something, chances are somebody else already did it maybe thousands of years ago, as is the case with minimalism, but also perhaps blogging about it uh, several years ago. Um, so so that, that was kind of the beginning of my process where I, I started to discard things because those things, one, were not serving me, two, they were part of a habit that I had to like buy things to make myself feel like I was accomplishing something. These were signs of success to me and getting rid of them helped me recognize that they didn't actually do anything for me. Uh, But also they were standing physically in the way of me doing something that I truly did care about, which was travel. And Mm -hmm. I I wanted to get rid of everything that wouldn't fit into a carry on bag because I did not want to have like a storage facility somewhere full of stuff that I was like hoarding like Pharaoh, not because I was using it, but so that no one else could have it like Mm -hmm. burying myself with my riches. No. I gave away the vast majority of it and to people who can actually use it. That way I wasn't taking valuable things and then holding on to them despite the fact that they were not valuable to me. I was giving them to people who could actually use them. And that extra computer that I never used, that those nice clothes that I never wore, somebody would actually use those things and they would be truly valuable to them. It's just that for me, They were not. They were the opposite. Mm -hmm. And so part of the process was recognizing that I could shift that value elsewhere mm -hmm. to a place where it would actually make the world better for it existing. What What was one of the things that were the most difficult to give away or to to sell, even though you knew it wasn't supporting your lifestyle (laughs) for for the first year? better part of a year at least, maybe not a full year, that I was on the road. I carried around two laptops, which was actually a step down. I had, I had eight computers all to myself when I lived in L.A. for some reason. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know why either. Um, but then I also had like this walk-in closet full of clothes. And so when I traveled, I kept like a really nice tailored suit also tucked in my bag thinking I'm going to feel like such a fool if I'm traveling around and I need like a really nice suit and I don't have it. So I'll keep this one suit rather than all the other nice clothes that I had. I'll get rid of those, but I'll keep this one suit. Never used it. Never used the second laptop. Of course I didn't. Why would I need to? Like somehow just because I didn't know about travel, I'd never left the country. I didn't know what I would need. But also I was like clinging to this idea that having more of these things actually made sense and that there was some value in it. And as it turned out, actually, it was far more valuable to have that extra bag space to spend on something else that I would actually use. 
and what do you usually then spend on your extra backspace and like when you travel something you take on like some some accessories or i don't know more underwear definitely uh i mean it's it's usually super practical stuff that will make you the happiest and if you have more underwear you do not have to wash your clothes as often you won't have to go and find a washer yeah i I do know the feeling yes yeah yeah, exactly this is amazing (laughs) reinvest that computer money on more underwear and you will be much happier that that's the highlight of the park the the one thing you should take out of this is sell your computer and get more underwear sell your computer get more underwear i'm telling you (laughs) and but your your journey like continued or like you still i mean you said oh yeah please share the the vivid image you told in the pre-talk of the the compass on how you you're living your life at the moment or like how it's directed (laughs) I think that's super valuable. So basically, I mean, for everybody, when you're going through this process and trying to figure out what's important to you, uh, essentially all you can really do is head in the right general direction at first, because chances are you don't know with great specificity where you actually want to be. And if you think you do, you're probably wrong because you're acting on incomplete information. You know, ask a 20 year old me what I wanted to do with my life. And that 20 year old me was a lot more ignorant about what I would actually want to do eventually than 34 year old me. I know I have 14 more years of experience than that guy. So of course I know with better resolution where I'd likely, or where I would like to actually end up. And that's the case with all of us. At first you're headed like North or West or like, you know, some generic direction. But as you move further and further and further along, long, you get tinier and tinier increments on your compass that you're following. And it's more and more important, all the little blips, all the little uh, lines on the compass, because you're seeing life with greater resolution. You're seeing those goals with greater specificity. You're seeing your own ambitions, but also the potential options with greater specificity because you've lived more and you also know yourself more. Uh, and, And as you get closer and closer, that will be more and more the case where you'll have a better idea of what very specific direction you want to move in. But it's also important to continuously check in on that too, to check your magnetic north to see if something's changed. Because ideally, if you're continuing to grow, uh, that direction that you're headed will continue to change because you will change as an individual. And if you have the same goal from age 10 until age 40, that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, you could say, hey, kudos for consistency, but that probably also means that you haven't learned anything dramatically different or seen the world from a radically different angle. And if you do, then you'll change your mind over time and change your goals over time. And that's great. Thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, I, I do think that this is a really valuable um, perspective because like at least for me, it was most of the time the, the me trying to um, really figure this thing out now properly so I can continuously go on on this and don't have to think about this anymore and can like move on to other stuff. Mm. But this is just not the case. I tried it no, so many times. <laughs> I know. And that's why sometimes the the pursuit of efficiency of a certain type can actually be the least efficient thing you can do because you're acting on old information in a lot of cases, or in some cases you optimize toward metrics that are not the right metrics. So you Mm -hmm. optimize toward earning as much money as possible, not realizing that in order to do so, you will eliminate every other positive thing in your life. In a lot of cases, uh, you know, optimization is only as good as the logic that goes into it, just like algorithms. Like, you know, you can code a perfectly or a perfect piece of software, but it will only do what you tell it. And if you're putting in bad information to begin with, any optimization strategy or life hack that you have will probably be imperfect by some other metric. And that's why no matter how much you think you have it together, checking in on a regular basis to to check that math, to see if the variables that you put in place are still vital, if those are still the important things to you, super, super important. And I just presume this traveling is helping you a lot with that, uh, to all the time reiterate your thinking, reiterate your, your values, your perspective in life, isn't it? Yeah. Something that I I tell people quite often, because I meet a lot of people who don't like traveling and they're like, well, so how do I, you know, if I don't like traveling, how do I benefit from that? And the thing is, you don't have to travel to get any of the benefits of travel. There's a lot of things that travel makes easier and that travel forces you to deal with constantly. 
discomforts. It forces you to see the world from different angles. You have no choice in that. It forces you to be around people who grew up in different environments, who have very different cultural backgrounds, different expectations, different sets of goals. It forces you to experience a great deal of valuable frictions. Like that's something that you cannot avoid with travel. And that's part of why I think it's valuable. But you can experience the same thing staying in your own hometown. It just takes a whole lot more work. You have to be a lot more conscious about it, a lot more intentional about it. And you have to consistently, consciously force yourself to do very difficult, uncomfortable things. And so while it's possible, it's also a very good idea, even if you don't like travel to periodically take a road trip to the next town over, like do some version of travel that allows you to experience these things more consistently because otherwise, and and I've done this, it's just exhausting the amount of effort that it takes to get that same type of external perspective, that same type of three dimensionality in the way that you view the world. If you're holding still in everything, it doesn't geographically there's travel. There's also travel professionally. There's travel in terms of philosophy and relationships. There's so many different ways that you can expose yourself to new things. So I don't want to make it sound like travel only means taking a train or a bus or a plane somewhere new. You can travel intellectually, but if you're sticking around in the same place, surrounding yourself with the same friends, thinking the same thoughts, rereading and rewatching the same books and TV, like if you're surrounded by the same external factors and variables constantly, you're going to have to put in a hell of a lot more work if you ever want to expand your horizons than somebody comparable who happens to take a trip to another country or who regularly exposes themselves to new types of film and books and such. I, I can just agree with that. Whenever It almost feels sometimes whenever I'm traveling – I'm a different person. I'm a different, like different parts of my personality are just like lit up and, oh, now my curious mind is lit up and like, oh, this is a weird plan. Let me touch this. This, The (laughs) the inner inner child is coming up when I'm traveling a lot more than when you're usually in your, oh, I need to now go from this point A to point B and uh, Mm -hmm. to do this and that. You're not thinking or you're not active in, okay, what's there on the way? How can I experience this still? But this is happening, at least to me, while I'm traveling, my mind is just open to anything what's there. Yeah. And and there's a lot of reasons for this. There's actually been research on it. And it's a lot of completely different factors that lead to that feeling, that sense. But it's a very real thing. One, because you're pulled out of your typical rhythm. You're pulled mm-hmm. out of a familiar environment that causes you to go into habitual uh, behaviors. But it's also something uh, apparently where being away from familiar people and familiar norms allows you then to disrupt your norms because you don't know what the correct way to be is. Mm-hmm. And thus, you're a little bit less concerned with making an ass of yourself because you don't even know. You're definitely going to make an ass of yourself. And so you just kind of lean into it more and thus you make more valuable mistakes. So when you move aside from conventions that you understand, Like it it changes. Actually, if you live in a new place long enough, then eventually you fall into the same thing that you did at your old home. But when you're exposed to something new, you're in a new place, then you are no longer uh, enmeshed in those conventions and rules that you fully understand. And that lack of understanding kind of puts you in the the child's mindset again, Mm -hmm. where you're open to learning because you don't know how much you don't know. You don't know what's right and what's wrong. And as a consequence, you kind of just do. Yes, I, I definitely felt that way when I went to Hong Kong. I was completely like, I imagine what the hell is going on here? I need to figure out everything. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that that was I, I really love that. This this is an awesome feeling to experience everything from, you know, either you call it beginner's mind or the child's mind or whatever to like, just really be open to even I don't know, a butterfly flying by and you just like, oh, this is so beautiful. So you you yeah. You actually, you do pick up on different things too, because when you're in a new environment, the parts of your brain that are familiar typically with what's going on in your environment, the threats and opportunities that it's always attuned to and pays the most attention to, the threats and opportunities in your environment are typically quite well known. And thus you're not necessarily pulled out of your everyday reverie. And so you don't collect as much visual and sensory, other sensory information as you do when you're in a new environment where all the threats and opportunities, or most of them, are unknown. And so all the colors are brighter, the smells are more intense. Things stand out. Whoa, 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 what, what, what? Which of these things will kill me? Which of these things can I procreate with? Like that's, that's what your brain is trying to pay attention to constantly, the primitive yeah. part of your brain. And so you actually do collect more information, and as a consequence, remember things more vibrantly. 
when you are in an unfamiliar situation. And a lot of people who don't travel very often and then go on a trip, they feel like suddenly their memory works better when they're away from home. And actually, it, that's literally true. It's Your memory is working better because you're collecting more sensory information. And memories stick when you have physical sensory information to attach it to other parts of your brain. So that, that's another benefit of travel is that it allows you to pay closer attention to what's happening in your environment and potentially then what's happening within you at the same mm. time as well. That's why we very often have these deep realizations about ourselves and the way that we're living our lives and what we're feeling when we are away from home outside yeah. of all that habitual living. And what are, no, let me ask, like, what is the most important um, realization that you had during traveling? <sighs> That's a tough one. It's tough to choose just one. Yeah. Um, I mean, essentially everything that I believe, I don't know if that's 100% true, but most of the, the most important aspects of what I believe that guide my actions today are the consequence of having separated myself from habit and routine and the optimization for certain outcomes in order to be in a place that's less perfect and a lot messier and more chaotic. And then I have a realization that, oh, wow. Everything was going very, very well according to the standard, but I actually want this. So from, from the very beginning, leaving L.A., um, and then every single year along the way, I've had at least a half dozen major, oh, holy crap moments where I've realized that I've been doing something that I could be doing in a better way, better as defined by what I actually care about and the outcomes I want to see. Um, it, it, one of them, strangely, this is a really, really, truly random thing, but I realized partway through living in Argentina um, – that I didn't mind being nice. And like, there's something, especially I think within like masculine culture where you have to be like a badass, you have to be a little bit scary or mean or what. And I'm like, I'm not though, you know, like there's aspects of it that, that want you to be a hard ass, especially within business. I found you had to kind of pretend to be a sociopath sometimes. And for me, I just, I like doing well by people. I like helping people out. I like being a nice person, like going out, like it's something that makes me feel better when I'm able to be that because that feels most normal and correct to me. So when you're able to align yourself ideologically with what you actually care about and what you believe, align your actions and your beliefs, mm -hmm. you sleep a lot better. But it's also something that makes you feel more yourself all the time. So that little, little stupid, silly thing where I gave myself permission to not pretend to be a badass and not pretend to be mean and sociopathic and like the typical entrepreneurial archetype or anything, I felt so much better and life got so much easier. And it was just a consequence of a random little thought that I had while on a long bus ride between one city and the next city. That, that is almost ridiculously like simple and yeah. plain that this is like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm traveling in Argentina and on the bus ride. This thought suddenly comes up and you're like, oh, yeah, I should change my life now. It's a simple, silly, stupid little thing. And, yeah. and a lot of people probably come to that type of realization sometime earlier in their life. But for a lot of reasons, I hadn't. And well, so it I think also a moment. lot of people come to that a lot later in their life potentially yeah yeah or something it like it maybe maybe they come to the realization you know i've been too nice i need to be a, a bad person uh, and and hey if that's your truth i guess go for it but uh, for me it was the opposite yeah and um you said also in the beginning that a lot of you you try to align your values on um to make your actions and decisions align what mm -hmm. are what are um some that you think are for you the Yeah, the most important that you really, okay, this, this is from me, the most important value. So I try to align most of them, uh, most of the things and actions I do towards them. There's a lot of these too. Well, so I, I try to adhere to what I call the campsite rule, where I try to leave the world, but also people that I come into contact with better than I found them, if possible. Bare minimum, mm. leave them don't hurt anybody or anything. If you can avoid it, don't, don't be a drag on anybody's life. But if you can, even if some, in some little tiny, tiny way, leave people better than you found them, leave the world, leave a particular place better than you found it. If possible, that to me is something that, that makes me feel very good, but it also then overarchingly ideologically makes me mm -hmm. feel like, okay, Hey, life then has this purpose that isn't destiny and it's not required by anybody, but it's something that I want to do and feel good doing. Uh, I also like to do 
I like to do work that I can believe in. And that's something that will mean very different things for every single person. But I've had several small businesses in the past that I've run that have done okay monetarily that I could have scaled up. And then I got like six months into it and realized that I didn't want to tell anyone about it because it made me money, but it wasn't adding anything good to the world. It was just a way of earning money. Mm. And I've gotten much better at kind of smell testing these things before I get into them now, because there's a lot of things that might be good according to certain standards. It might help you earn revenue. And if you can justify that, okay, cool. For me, though, I've realized that that justification comes with a cost. And at a certain point, it starts to be a drain on my day, a drain on my life. I don't feel good about what I'm doing. So I like to make sure that the way that I'm spending my time is something that I feel very confident telling people about and even happy telling people about because it's something that I truly believe in and can be truly invested in. And so that the work is something that I enjoy, but also the outcome is something that I get to feel good about. Mm, that is also something I really... For me, it started mostly in the last, in the past year that um, I also like was a lot more certain for myself that, for example, now I, um, I'm certain I want to go in the direction of um, coaching and want to, as basically the almost uh, as I just learned the campsite rule applying to, <laughs> to people. Um, and since I really was con convinced for myself, had this realization just like literally at the dinner table with a friend, um, oh, this is my thing apparently because I was doing this all, all day long already with other mm -hmm. people but didn't realize that I was doing it. And since then, not only like was it a lot more fun for myself but also I, I figured a lot of people when they see this like little fire spark in your eye, they help mm -hmm. you achieve that after this after this realization so many people came into my life that like from meeting on on the airplane sitting next to them and I'm still in contact with them and helping me out on some parts to um, other friends referring me to oh I know this dude and she, or a person and she's doing exactly what you do right now and let's me let's con connect you with her and like th those amazing things happened since then mm, this is I mm. think also really the strength of finding something that you really fired up and this is like my might be actually the true value and um not looking for the monetary um part in the first place yeah yeah i mean so like don't get me wrong i, I do think it's important to be able to pay the bills and mm. that's something from a very realistic level you need to make sure that what you're doing uh, is is sustainable um but i mean there's multiple ways to do that i i know people who uh, are most of them are visual artists or performing artists who do this who have a job like working at a coffee shop or working at a library like doing something that they actually enjoy an aspect of it even if it's not their passion But then they look at the money that they earn from that as a means of funding the art that they want to make because they do not want their art, be it a painting or like theatrical performance, to be uh, adjusted or slanted in some way by considerations for money because money will slant some things. You start to change your art because it sells better if you do it this way. They don't want to even have to think about that. So they become their own Medici, their own patron, uh, by working a job. And then they look at that money that they're earning as a way of sustaining themselves, keeping a roof over their head and food in, on their table. But it's also a way that they get to self fund their own passion. And I, I think that's absolutely beautiful. I think it's wonderful if you can create something that allows you to make some money, uh, but also allows you to create something that you believe in. But that won't always be in the cards. And if not, I think it's perfectly legitimate to find something that you do not hate doing and ideally that you enjoy, at least on some level. And that, that hopefully adds something to the world too. Hopefully it's not drilling oil wells or, you know, like clubbing baby seals or something. I probably don't do that to fund your art. Um, but you know, if you can find something that you enjoy decently well, that also allows you to be your own patron. I think that's glorious as well. If you can figure out how to make that work. I totally agree. Yes. That's because also, especially in the, in the part when you try to give something to, um, other people and then need to consider, um, I need to also get this person to pay me. Then you almost immediately commercialize it. You almost immediately try to, um, get the most out of this person even though so it, it's almost conflicting that you want yeah. to give something positive 
but you also want to receive immediately because otherwise you cannot sustain yourself. It creates weird incentives. And, and even if you have the best of intentions, it can create perverse incentives that then adjusts even if subconsciously the way that you behave with, with other people, the way that you behave with what you're creating. So, you know, every once in a while it works out. Like I, I feel very good about having, or I feel much better at least about having customers over clients the way that I used to. So being able to sell books. Uh, and then with the podcast, I actually tried having sponsors at first because I didn't want to have advertisers, but I thought, well, maybe if I reach out to people whose products and services I use myself and feel very good about promoting, that would work. And I did that for several months. And then I thought, you know, I actually, this doesn't feel right either. And so I went straight patronage using Patreon and PayPal and things like that. And it's doing pretty well. It's not something that it replaced my income for anything else, but it is something that is more than self-sustaining and something that I feel good about. How much that scales, I don't know. And how much that would work for other types of projects, I have no idea. But we all have the opportunity, I think, to experiment with these sorts of things. And I don't think that there's an illegitimate way of monetizing a project or funding a project. So long as you're not taking advantage of anybody, there's no coercion involved. And as, as long as you are are doing something that you actually care about that you think the world benefits from having this thing in it. Uh, and you're able to make it sustainable in some way so that you are not wringing yourself dry and putting yourself out on the street in order to do it. Cause it, you definitely want to make sure that you sustain psychological and physical health for yourself as you're creating these things as well. You don't want to be the, the starving artist if you can avoid it. Mm. But also know like how how you say it. It's or also like how I basically do that. It seems like for us quite easy because we have like we're in in a way quite nicely put in this world. Let's say it like that, and we have quite a security base, and yeah. we can afford also to oh yeah, I want to put something nice uh, in the world and don't want to immediately get somebody something in return. Um, mm -hmm. But you can only do that when you already have a backup. It's, it's a privileged position and it's not something that everybody will be able to do out of the gate uh, or if ever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate. It's truly unfortunate. I've seen I've seen different permutations of it, but it really is like if you are just putting it out there, if you are born white, male, straight, English speaking, like there, there's a lot of different things. If you have a passport that allows you to travel, I know tons of people who would love to be able to travel, but they happened to be born into a place where their passport doesn't allow them to go most places. It's, it's a highly inequitable world and the same effort will not result in the same outcomes for everybody, uh, for anybody, really. We all get dealt very different cards. And some of us got fortunate to be dealt a pretty good hand and probably didn't play it as well as we should have. But at the same time, we still got good cards so we can afford to to fail and stand back up and fail and stand back up with less effort than it would take somebody else. Not everybody has the benefit of failure and not everybody has the benefit of saying, I'm going to wait until I'm, I've got a job that I'm passionate about. Um, and that's why I usually say like, All, all of these things are steeped in kind of fuzzy words. This is not the absolute best way to do anything yeah. because everybody will get different outcomes. Everybody's coming from a different circumstance. It's a lot of the general concepts work very well. I think for most people, the idea of working toward being able to fund something that you can enjoy or figuring out a way to fund something that you enjoy, uh, in, in large part, because then you'll be less psychologically drained and have mm -hmm. more energy to spend on things. But yeah, I mean, hell, there's certain places that you could grow up and just being able to get an income is a really remarkable achievement. So I mean, everybody does what they have to do. If you do have to club baby seals to make a living, like there's literally no other way to do it. I do not uh, look down on you for that. You're doing what you can. Yeah. I just really wanted to put that in perspective that this is just such a privilege, but not only like seeing that other people have it worse, but also then actually appreciating and seeing how good it is. So you mm. take actually advantage of that because most people in our circumstances and our surroundings have those privileges, might not see them or might not take advantage of them to make something positive, good for their surroundings or for themselves. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you using what you've got and, and recognizing too, that not everybody who's dealt the same hand is going to have the same outcome either. So just because you were born into a wealthy country and have a good family and everything doesn't mean that everything will be easy. Um, I, I think very seldom are useful things easy, but you might get a different outcome from somebody else. And that's totally okay, too. Yeah. But also, like what I 
previously already thought about is when you now travel so to so many different countries in such a short period of time, how is your social environment? Because I mean, you, you meet so many new different people in such a short period of time and then you're gone again. Like mm. That is not how we usually build up our relationships. It's a very, very different <laughs> sort of relationship building environment. Um, yeah. the, the nice thing though, and the, what I usually tell people is that this would have been way more difficult 40, 50 years ago for a variety of reasons. Um, one, there's way more vaccines today. That's nice. But, <laughs> but also, I mean, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to travel, all things considered. It's relatively safe to travel a lot of places, all things considered. But also we, ha we live in the future. We've got Skype. You know, we, we've got mobile phone technology. The, the phone plan that I have allows me to get free data and free calls in like 150 countries uh, without having to swap out a SIM card. It's, it's way different from even how it was a decade ago. Yeah. There's things like Airbnb, you know, there's Uber. Um, a lot of these things have significant downsides, but even the most fundamental things are a hell of a lot easier than they were even a decade ago, not to mm -hmm. mention 20 or 30 years ago. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of keeping in touch with people and building relationships, as long as you recognize that it will not look exactly the way it does if you're living in the same town your entire life. So you're not going to see all of your friends every single day. You're not going to have weekly meetups and play board games or have a drink. You're not going to run into people because you happen to sit at the cubicle or office next to them or sit at the desk next to them. That's not how it works. You actually have to go out of your way in order to stay in touch with people, to communicate, to figure out how often you want to communicate, to figure out the best way to communicate, to figure out what needs to be said actively and what mm -hmm. you can do to stay in touch or stay aware of each other passively and then touch base when it makes sense for both of you. So it's figuring out or it's being more intentional, I guess, in terms of like the different orbits that your relationships exist on. Cause you're going to have in that center, very close orbit, probably a handful, maybe a dozen people tops, because there's only so much time, so much energy that you can spend on talking to people and staying in touch and engaged with people on a regular basis. It's, it's the same way that it works in real life too. It's just that you're doing it perhaps using different technologies and communication methods. And then other people figuring out how you stay in touch, how often you communicate, how often you have an actual call. If text messaging is enough, sending emails, uh, communicating on social media, every single one of these tools has the potential to be horrible, but it also has the potential to be incredible. And it just totally dependent on how you use it. It's just like yeah. a chainsaw, you know, it, like you could use a chainsaw to cut down a bunch of stuff and build yourself a beautiful sculpture or a house, or you could use a chainsaw to go on a killing spree. And yeah. the same is true in a lot of cases with social media and anything else that allows us to communicate that could drag our attention away from the important stuff or could allow us to stay in touch with the important people. Mm. So uh, figuring out what you actually want to do with these tools is a big determination or a big determiner of how valuable the tools will actually prove to be. And so everything you've explained now seemed really um, logically thought through and really almost <laughs> like meticulously thought about and pointed out, almost written down somewhere. Um, <laughs> it helps to write about this kind of thing and speak about it for 10 years. Cause then even if you're just going off the cuff, you generally know, I believe so. But know. then like even, even more interesting to me, then are you generally that person that is really, um, that thoroughly thought through, or are you also at, at certain situations, a lot more, the person who is just do what it feels like being that let going with the flow person. Does that also exist, this call-in? <laughs> yeah. It, honestly, I think it's a bit of both. Um, okay. and, and I think most ideally, it's a bit of both for all of us. Because there's certain things that you want to be structured with. And mm -hmm. it's a very good idea to be rational with a great many things, including a lot of things that we typically romanticize as things that we should be emotional about. It helps to be a little bit stoic in situations where emotion might otherwise overwhelm you and cause you to make very bad decisions or hurt somebody or something. Um, it's, it's a good idea to be aware of what you're feeling and then be able to process that before you respond to that thing that you're experiencing. Yeah. But it's also important to allow yourself to experience it. So it's it's one thing to to acknowledge I am feeling angry or upset or stressed out or something. It's another thing to just go, ah, I'm feeling stressed out and then go crazy and then go self-medicate or something. It's much better to be 
but then also consciously and rationally acknowledge it before making a decision about what you do in response to that. Mm-hmm. So I think ideally what you have, the, the way that I envision it at least, is you have like a, a structure that is very rational stuff. That is the structure for your life and the way that you process and think. But mm-hmm. then within that, it's just whatever. It's wild and crazy. You fully feel every emotion and you make sure that you continue to do, do so because if you ever stop, you're missing out on a great deal of what life has to offer. And that includes acting spontaneously and allowing yourself to go on gut sometimes, but also acknowledging that your gut is trained by experience and thoughtfulness and knowledge. And you can train your creative processes as well by using some of these rational tools. So like a lot of things, they work much better together rather than choosing one end of the spectrum or the other okay and now since you said you didn't have so much time i want to get into the end of this podcast with an important question what do you want to be remembered for you know it's not something i think too much about over a long enough timeline it's unlikely any of us will be remembered i mean just being (laughs) being realistic yes Um, you know in the short term Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if I'm going to be remembered, I honestly, I don't think that I need to be in order to feel like I have meaning in my work or my life. But mm-hmm. if, if I am remembered for something, I'd much rather, I guess, be something positive than negative. So it'd be nice to be associated in some way with living well, dealing with each other, honestly, being able to, um, see the inherent personal and social value in being uh, intellectually involved, mm-hmm. in being conscious of each other and of ourselves. I, a lot of what I spend my time on these days is trying to help people understand what's happening in the world and how that affects them and the best ways that we can deal with all of that information externally and internally to then make better decisions and figure out who we are, what we actually care about, and how to behave based on that information. So something correlated to that would be nice. But but ultimately, again, like I think I would drive myself crazy. And, and I think a lot of people do drive themselves crazy with that kind of dynastic thinking where I need to be remembered for this and I need to make sure I do something dramatic and crazy. And imagine how stressful that is to think I need to do something titanic. Otherwise my life will have been worthless. No, I I think you can have, you know, a million little valuable instances where you've benefited a lot of people in very, very tiny ways or one person in a little tiny way or bare minimum just didn't, didn't hurt a bunch of people. And I think that's a, that's a type of success in terms of living. Another short question. What superpower would you like to have if you could choose any? (laughs) This has changed over the years. There was a time where I thought it would be so cool to be able to go anywhere in the world and speak to anyone and be fully and completely understood and to understand completely in return, not just linguistically. And I'm actually terrible with languages. This is part of why I always believed this, but not just linguistically, but also in terms of intent. So what people say, but also what they mean, Mm -hmm. and then being able to have perfect communication. I think that would be such a valuable thing. And as opposed to all the superhero stuff that has tons of fighting, you would avoid so much of the fighting if we all just understood each other. But more recently, I actually thought it would be amazing. And this is more recently as of probably like 15 years ago. Um, I thought it would be really cool to be able to like step out of reality into a pocket universe that has all the information you could possibly want to know. But, and this is me thinking in terms of storyline, it would not be the best version of this, this type of superpower, but it would be very compelling, I think, because there's a dramatic element to it. You step into it and you have all that information, but you don't like get access to it immediately. You have to take it in the way that you would in real life. So you step out of the world and time stops for you. When you step back in, time will have stopped and you're right back where you started. But in here, you have unlimited time to read whatever books you want, watch whatever documentaries you want, take in information, but you have to put in the time to get that information. To me, that would be such a compelling type of superhero character. And for me, part of the reason I've tried to give myself time to deal with all day, every day, to make sure I have as close to 24 hours a day, seven days a week as I can to do whatever I want is because it's something that approximates that type of power to be able Mm -hmm. to learn anything like really with enough time and the desire to do so, you can learn just about anything. It doesn't mean that you'll be the best at it, but you could learn just about anything. And I love that concept. The, the fact that all of us actually do have that power. It just, we don't have pocket universes in which to experience it. (laughs) 
That is, I guess, one of the best endings I had so far. <laughs> this is amazing. I love this story. Yeah, I could really see the spark in your eye. That was, <laughs> you were really immersed in this story. I thought about that maybe too much. <laughs> Well, if anyone liked anything what you just said, and I'm sure there will be some people out there, um, Colin Wright is basically reachable anywhere in the internet where you yeah, search Google or Instagram or whatever um, on the Exile Lifestyle. Uh, exile lifestyle. Uh, do you have any other um, most important um, doors people can step into connect, getting in contact with you or connect or listen to stuff? Yeah, colin.io is kind mm. of the central hub for my books and my other publications. And then Let's Know Things is my podcast. Yes, that is amazing. And super deep, interesting information I have never thought about. That was Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, like some of the topics ranging from like the the um what was it battery technology towards some wool of sheep whatever like it's completely <laughs> completely off the topics those 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 things and um interesting to yeah as you said like before having this travel uh this mentally or um literature travel almost into different parts you haven't thought about and that's actually what you do with the podcast as it seems at least to me i'm glad to hear that thank you that that's the intent is to to try to make this information interesting and show people how what's going on in the news connects to everything else all the stuff that has happened stuff in other fields of inquiry all, all of it's interconnected if you allow yourself to see the connections yeah so um thanks a lot for listening to then this episode and i hope to see you or listen to you uh, um in the next one um yeah thank you Thank you so much for having me. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Because after this episode, I was really pumped and energetic and wanted to dive deeper into topics and find the purpose really for myself, find things that I'm curious about and just spark this beginner's mind this this child's mind to explore more and find out more so this is something i really enjoyed throughout the whole episode and having a lot of additional bits into my mind of that spark like things i wanted to think about things i had to rethink like which things uh, was i told to want which things do i actually want the funny thing about getting more underwear which is just like practicality is sometimes really key and and can give you a lot of important joy and happiness but really also to uh, a main key takeaway for me is really to change your environment change your perspective to really find this curiosity spark some new thoughts Think about stuff, explore yourself. What do you actually want? Those those were really some valuable thoughts for me and I enjoyed the interview with him. It was really a mix between fun and curiosity and learning. I hope you saw it similar and could take something out of this too. If you like what he said, obviously you know his channel's Let's Not Think his podcast. Uh, all his the website he mentioned so yeah reach out to him talk to him he immediately answered my email so yeah he will be open to to talk to you too and i hope to see you soon again one last thing if you enjoyed this episode or got a new perspective on something i would really appreciate if you subscribe or leave me a review on itunes so I know what I'm doing and I can improve it. And I also see a bit of support from you to keep going. That would be awesome. So have a good nice day and uh, namaste. Mm-hmm.